Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Raphael. Uh, is it winter over there? Yeah, it's terrible. What's the, what's the temperature? <laughs> How has it been? It's gray. Um, yeah, and it's below freezing, but there's no snow. This is very typical for Toronto, like no snow, but cold, mm. bleak. There's a little bit like, of snow here today. Like with the lights on in my house. Yeah. I didn't sleep well last night because I don't even know what the rhythm of the sun and the <laughs> earth is anymore. <laughs> I'm sure you didn't sleep well because you're so excited about your upcoming projects. Uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm going to Chicago. I'm performing there and working with some artists um, and continuing to work with them all year. But, so whenever I get ready for a trip, I don't know if you have this problem, but I actually was falling asleep on the couch. And then I was like, okay, I better go to bed. And as soon as I got into bed, I was like, oh shit, I'm going to Chicago tomorrow. I haven't, uh, I haven't packed. I haven't done I, this. I haven't done that. Yeah, I, I have this thing where I, it's really easy for me to fall asleep at night, but I tend to wake up too early and then it's mm. hard to fall back asleep. So I've... I'll get five, six hours of sleep, and I know if I get seven hours, I'll feel way better that day. But if there's too much going yes. on and it's before a trip or something, it's like, but it, it doesn't matter because if you're tired on the flight, who cares? And then I just sleep on the flight. So I, I yeah, kind of like my general, going on a flight really exhausted, so I sleep. That's that's a good yeah. I'm I'm usually not that bothered by it, and certainly flying we to Europe my philosophy. <laughs> Well, often, like, I mean, I've had to perform without having slept, you know, or after a flight or something like that. And no one seems to care. They're always like, oh, you must be tired. But the show must go off. <laughs> I've also, it, it, it's funny. One of the reasons I like to sleep more is because you look better. You don't look so sleepy. So I, mm, I think point. that I look more awake when I sleep properly. But then I'll sleep eight hours and people run into me. It's like, oh, you look so tired. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then I don't sleep at all. And then people are like, oh, you look refreshed. And, yeah. These days, my refrain is, yep, I'm, I'm old. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting old. You pegged it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny that um, the most uh, criticism I've had about this podcast is me interrupting you. Uh-huh. And then you follow The Verge, right? Yeah. And then Nilay Patel was not there the last two episodes. And he's always interrupting people and making things chaotic. Mm. And also Kara Swisher and Rico Decode cuts everyone off every second. And I really yeah. enjoy it. It's like this snappy, they already know what they're saying. Let's go, let's go. And uh, yeah. So, I see what you're doing here. But I, yeah, I felt encouraged. <laughs> but then I spoke to a friend who, who listened to, uh, not the last episode, the episode before, where I had accidentally recorded your voice on my track, so I had to clean up my track. Mm. And because I was cleaning it up anyways, I I cut out all the moments where I go, but wait, but uh, Jeremy, where I'm trying to oh, where I'm trying to pause I you. So I I cut those out. Yeah. And he said, yeah. Oh, what happened? You sounded so polite, the the, the podcast got Jeremy fied. <laughs> Jeremy, it's like a gentrification of of a, of a conversation. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, so you're the gritty. You're like maybe the gritty this episode. Smart, I'll just go like. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. Um, like I said, it doesn't bother me. I'm used to it. Yeah, um, but it it is it is funny. There's always. Um, I just saw the square. This film, but whatever you do, there's always going to be criticism. So in the square. The curator has his show, and they make a viral commercial to get attention from the show, and the and the commercial is very distasteful, and the curator has to resign. So there's a press conference, and someone is saying, "How can you be so um, immature using minorities for your own gain for YouTube views?" And he's like, "Yeah, that's very bad. I'm sorry." But then the next journalist is like, "Are you restricting free speech? Are you setting limits on on taste? And who do you think you are?" And he's like, "What?" So, 
whatever side you take, mm-hmm. everybody just yells, and it's always the the yellers who get the most attention. Well, a lot of people might be thinking like, "Hey, that's fine. Mm. I, don't don't worry about it." Yeah, I think people just want all of my secrets, uh, and they don't want to wait to buy the book. So yeah. when you interrupt me, they're like, "Oh, yeah, now I have true. to buy the book." That's true. <laughs> you are very but, magnetic, but but there's a, there's a thing about design by committee where if you listen too much. And maybe this will go into uh, this week's topic, but mm-hmm. if you as an artist start to listen too much to suggestions by other people, I think, but not just as an artist, also as a company, like if every time you redesign a web product, there's mm. 10% of users who are really loud and who say, this is the worst thing ever. And most people will be like, oh, I like this new feature, but they're not going to tweet about that. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. It is a very good segue into uh, I wanna, this week's... Uh, we uh, need a segue sound effect, like a like a car racing or something. <laughs> Segway. We've said, we've said that before. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> what would be a good sound effect? Um, Maybe an explosion? <laughs> Segway. <laughs> I, I wish it was, I wish it was uh, like a siren or something. Like, uh, I, I like in, in hip-hop songs where they go, remix, and then we should go, yeah. Segway. Yeah. <laughs> Segway. So we, um, we need a listener yeah. with a very enthusiastic, energetic voice to record that for us. <laughs> that's true. That would be a, yeah. That's a good. We need shout. We need like transitional someone, shout someone outs from with, a, with a, like a club energy. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure. There yeah, are you need like, like a siren and then maybe listeners. some uh, steel drums or something, and then there was the crawl show. Did you watch that? I mean, I have watched the crawl show, but I think uh, you've they, watched every crawl yeah, show. Yeah, and they made fun of uh, Latin American radio, where they're really excited and enthusiastic, and lots of sound effects, and they're just like, mm. "Oh, my father died!" I wouldn't know if that's true or not, but having not listened to that radio, but yeah, so well, we've lost the segue. We lost. I did what? Well, actually, it was a listener topic. Someone at work, actually, that I work with. Yeah, so listeners, we do listen. I don't listen to suggestions about interrupting, but we do listen to suggestions about topics. So this is. You could do a whole episode on interruptions. I'm sure. But so this week's topic was requested. Yeah, and the the topic was requested by by a guy I work with, Juan, and. Yeah, Juan uh, suggested jealousy. Um, I think... Is it one of the seven sins? Just like yeah, pride? What, um, yeah, I think... I mean, it's envy, I think, yeah, is one of the exactly. seven Yeah, exactly. It's kind of yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it immediately occurred to me that, like, um, throughout my career as an artist, uh, I've kept it a secret uh, quite often when I feel jealous of another artist, but... More often than not, actually, when I see artwork I really love, I say to the artist, and this is the most flattering thing I can say to them in my mind anyway, because if they said it to me, I'd fi- I'd be flattered. I'm so jealous. Mm. <laughs> and the reason I say it is because I'm so jealous. It usually it's because it's like, it, I love it so much that I can't believe that it didn't, that I, it's so egocentric of me to say this, but I can't believe that I didn't come up with it first. You know, it's funny. It that seems the, so the, obvious the that it should exist of, in the world. Something being egocentric when, um, humans, we're not a hive mind, so everything is egocentric. Everything is from the self, and everything you view, you 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 have your baggage of everything you've seen before, and your desires and your ambitions. You can't. Mm-hmm. How can you not be egocentric when you're viewing something? Like, how can you be? 
You right. would, it, because if if, if you're not egocentric, you if not you're thinking you? in a in a bigger scale, it's a construct. It's not that you are mm-hmm. a multi-person organism. You're pretending to be. Yeah, but a lot of times, so um, you know, the reason a certain work or an invention, you know, it happens in all cases where an idea doesn't, you know, we the origin is placed on a, you know, it's given to a single person. Oh, like this person came up with this, but usually, actually, like a few dozen people are coming up with it yeah. because. It's a response to a collective cultural moment. Eh, yeah. Um, but every once in a while, someone does make an individual kind of breakthrough. Um, the thing is, they've probably had a few conversations with others. You know, like it's very. It would be almost impossible, except maybe the Unabomber. I'm thinking. But you could, you like could that, also like, be jealous of a group. You could be jealous, like, oh, I wish I was. It, it, a part we, of that. We did, a part we did of that an gang. episode on being from a small country, and then definitely you feel like, oh, if I was in Hollywood with the right people, would I be a good film director? And uh, yeah, probably you would. Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. I don't want to make people feel bad. No, but, but you know what I but mean. You, like there, like being there is a certain of, network of, effect. Uh, it, yeah. it, it, to me, being jealous of an individual artist, it, art to me felt very empowering because no matter where you are, you you can choose your material and do something. Um, but movies and, and large yeah. video games and all those things are very dependent on being at the right place in the right time more than than making the solitary arts i mean yeah so in the tech sector there's a lot of discussion around this because you know they say that it's really really difficult for um for a company to get started outside of silicon valley just because the network effect of yeah, silicon yeah. valley is such I, that like i, th- I think the, it, the right it, it, minds are talking about there stuff. because i think also for art and also for tech, you'll have a more original way of thinking if you're not in one of those epicenters. But for the idea to take off and to really go in the snowball effect, you need to be in the epicenter. So if you th- mm-hmm. if you think of an artist like uh, Gerhard Richter, who is now mm-hmm. mostly known for his abstract works, and he had these blurry photorealistic works also, and it's because he was in Germany and there was a moment and there was artists around him that it started growing and growing and uh, because of the market he was able to go really far in material research. And I know there's a lot of abstract artists from different countries where you could have been like, yeah, they could have made it too, but they weren't. That that feeling, so if it's not, if someone just has better ideas than me, I'm not jealous. It's like, okay, like if I see... A David Lynch movie, it's clear he, he has amazing talent that I don't have. Or if I see South Park, <laughs> they have an amazing talent that I don't have. My brain, okay. And But if I see an artist who has a very small idea that worked well within a good ecosystem and then just got catapulted materially to larger mm-hmm. scale and better production and better presentation... That's and I th- I think a lot of people there's this word art rage I think a lot of people feel that when they go into a museum where they just go like ah this is some stupid idea that was catapulted and why am I ignored mm-hmm. that 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 feeling yeah. of powerlessness I think is very difficult hmm, interesting I mean I can remember when I was a much younger artist or student um, because I didn't know as much about what was going on certainly in the present. I was only reacting to like art I'd read about like from the 60s. So it was like everything I made was like a revolution. Like, you you know, like I was a teenager and I was like, check this out. (laughs) Change the world. It's like, and then like like nothing would happen. You were trapped in a house for 20 years and you were bodybuilding and you thought, oh, I'm so big. And you you didn't know about Schwarzenegger. (laughs) 
But you know what's amazing about that time is, uh, like, I have a video from that era that I just, like, I pulled out, um, and one that's showing in, in Moscow right now. What's amazing is, like, I think actually I was making, like, in a way better work, but I wasn't, I was making worse stuff, but I was doing way more because I had no, I had no, I wasn't even looking at what you other people were doing. You weren't measuring your works. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was, like, really obsessed with my own personal progress, and I had this, like, super yeah. hyper focus on like what I was trying to achieve and I did and because I was so far from the re, you know being in the regular art world no one was paying was attention. Was this before art school? It was while I was an undergrad and then okay. in my first years at grad school I was the that was when I was the most playful I had a by the way I had another character that I used to play too it's, who was it, like a disgruntled French artist who was jealous <laughs> of his own his own creation. You probably also <laughs> really had very it. few responsibilities at the time other than making art so. That's true. That, that's that true. That, no, that's a huge part of it for sure. But even as like, you know, I, I've made art at different times, full time, or even, um, you know, or even fifty percent of the time without having to write papers and things like that. It can, it can be like it's deadline driven rather than self motivated. Okay. And I was not, I was not at all deadline driven back then. I was just like, well, yeah. I was making like a video. A lack of knowledge um, can be very freeing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought about it because. As I started to get out into the real art world, I would be like, whoa, like, wh why didn't I see, why didn't someone show me this sooner? Like, <laughs> I didn't know about that, you know? And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, like, my thing is derivative of that or this. And, yeah. and I've, I've met young artists who are, like, really sad and depressed because they're like, well, you know, no matter what I do, the teacher just tells me, like, it's already been done by so-and-so, <laughs> you know, like that. <laughs> yeah, it's better not to go to art school, I guess. Well, I think it's like in... Um, in, I can take it back to brand or to tech, or let's take it back to brand where, where I've worked longer. You know, if you're not pursuing an independent vision, you really don't want to look at your competitor except as the antithesis of what you want to be doing. So it's so funny to see artists, even older artists, uh, mid-career artists, go through a crisis where they're like looking, triangulating their own self-worth based on the success or work of others, because in business... That's a recipe for disaster. Um, and there's like, so you always mean use this if, cheesy... if MySpace wants to come back and just keeps comparing themselves to Facebook? Yeah, don't do that, MySpace. That's like a recipe for disaster. There's the cheesy saying that almost every great CEO always quotes in whatever talk you'll, it'll, you, once, once I say the quote, you'll hear it all the time. It's, it's very Canadian, but Wayne, it's this Wayne Gretzky quote, which is, you don't, You don't skate to where the puck is. You skate to where the puck is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it sounds so cheesy, no, but, but it's it, very it true. No, but it's very true. Yeah. I mentioned it a few times, but Chuck Close said the same thing. It's like, if you follow a trend, you're late because other people have been developing that idea for a decade. So then you're late. Yeah. The hard thing is what I've noticed being on like trying to like, set trends uh we, you know which is something I tr i've tried to do a few times it's like it's very uncomfortable not to be trendy and trying to set trends well <laughs> so it's it, like it's you know what i'm saying yeah, like I, i don't know people don't recognize it as cool and so they're like looking at you like But what this the is, hell are you this doing? is a different you know? this is a difficult problem and it, um not everybody uh and it, without uh, tooting my own horn i don't feel like i I found some a new context, so I was happy about that with the internet. But overall, mm -hmm. I don't know how much I added this expression, adding something to the table. But what if you start some... Not everybody's going to add something to the table. 
no matter how hard you try. It's not about hard work. It's just also, it's like not mm-hmm. everybody is tall enough to play basketball. Mm. Are you saying there's like some? But no. But but what I'm referring? saying with jealousy is that there's. Mm. Uh, I feel like anyone who's who goes to art school, some part of them expects I'm I'm the next Rembrandt. Mm-hmm. And then there's a moment of realization, maybe when you're 40, when you're like, okay, um, I had all these. Is that? I don't know if that's true, but does everyone think like, oh, I'm going to invent the new? Well, it was funny because when I was in grad school, I had a friend who was simultaneous in museum studies, like curating school, and he like sometimes people say something to you, and you're just like, oh, you know, why did you say that to me? You ruined my life. But he's he's about he was a best friend, and he said. You know what I heard in class today is like if you if you don't break out as an artist before you're 30, I mean it's pretty much it's there's no chance <laughs> you'll never be Eve Klein, you'll never be like I don't yeah, know, and, uh, and, Louise Bourgeois. And going back, I think we once talked about uh, local artists and local food in uh, mm-hmm. in restaurants. It's totally cool not to be innovative. Like you really respect someone making a traditional dish and specializing in one dish, and they're not world famous, but they're the best thing nearby it's it's not a place you would go to for an anniversary or a special dinner but it's something you go every week or once every two weeks and it's a great part of your life mm-hmm. so yeah. you can be totally happy being an artist who continues something that happened before and it's it's not the most celebrated work in the world but it makes a lot of people happy and you're enjoying doing it and <clears throat> that's actually a really good strategy though from a positioning standpoint like if you're a company what you should do if you're starting out is narrow your customer segment to be very, very small, um, very specific. Like yeah, very even niche, Facebook actually. did that. And if, yeah, exactly, they, even they Facebook They launched that, and right? they would only allow people with an .edu email address. That's right. And at first it was just Harvard, right? Yeah. And what, there's, a, there's an expression that this is like a, the rule of disruption um, because every, every large company needs to serve everyone. It's very hard for them to serve anyone particularly well. But what you have as an, your advantage as a small company, and you can also transpose this, I think, as an artist, is you, you have the ability to be really good for one specific person. In fact, I always promote the idea of just being good for one curator or one, sh- one particular type of audience, like very, very niche, like just do one thing really, really well. And immediate, if you start to look around and try and do, like, don't try and be Jeff Koons on day one. It sounds so obvious, but right? But then but it's like, funny when you hear about people like Jeff Koons and that from day one, they're like, yeah, I'm the shit. Yeah, but I don't know if that was from day one. I, I think as that's far the as I know, and the people I know who've worked with him here in New York, because a lot of mm-hmm. people worked with him early on when nobody cared. He was absolutely convinced from day one. He's like, yeah. Maybe because, um, well, he figured out that you could just copy um, uh, like the ready-made as uh, like you could be like Duchamp. And then that, <laughs> I'm just thinking like, that's a very fast the, mode of production. I, I was thinking today, we'll put it in the show notes. There's Because he did the vacuum yeah, cleaners, right? Because you could look at, at uh, Koons' work and say, okay, that's just an iteration of pop art, and pop art was just an iteration of the ready-made and uh, nothing new. Yeah. And I, there's an interview with Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols, and I think it's a Dutch journalist in, in 1977, like early days of the Sex Pistols, and he's saying, mm. well, you guys are nothing new. It's just rock and roll, but you dyed your hair a funny color. But musically, there's nothing new. And then mm. Johnny Rotten is like, well, you're wrong. And then it... Right. It, it's funny because if you have this uh, dissecting mode of viewing culture and you just keep dissecting it, nothing's new. It's like, well, 
rock and roll is kind of blues and blues is kind of this and that and it's it, oh well actually it's just it's the same thing as cavemen doing tribal drums there's not it's the same energy and so if you just keep deconstructing nothing's new but then if mm-hmm. you look at it it's like come on there's a big difference between punk and rock and roll and what it did to the world and how we see music and what it catapulted after that so this the i can also if you if you no, no, you're reminding me also this week uh J- johnny Halliday died oh yeah who is the, the french the elvis french El- french elvis <laughs> yeah. and a bunch of johnny Halliday's songs were just french remakes of elvis songs um but there was no attribution to elvis I'm, I, yeah, I'm sure the difference between him and elvis was that he had more vacation but Elvis also st- stole his sound from, you know, like the um, art, rhythm, and blues kind of. Well, a lot of people before him, America. Yeah, yeah. And Carl, yeah. Carl Perkins, and, and yeah, and specific, yeah, specifically African American communities, right? Um, so, yeah. Anyway, there's it. So, but the, it, but there's this, there's this thing when you start as an artist and you can be hopeful or you can be half full or half empty and be like, okay, mm-hmm. if I start. Uh, Making this work, is it too derivative or am I adding something new to the table? Right, right. And, I, and I, here's what I can say, like, try, like recently I've been changing direction as a, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about mid-career crisis because I do think that this happens when you're first starting out as an artist and then, like, as you ease into mid-career, which is eight plus years as a professional artist. I was talking to a friend who was also going through a crisis because typically you don't really, your income doesn't really, like, most people's income doesn't like skyrocket like yours, Raphael, but like generally like they might get up to just the poverty line. Like that's most artists get up How to like, How much is that? I just pay you. Like What's poverty a line? lot of artists most artists don't make less than 10k, but if you get into that like mid-career, they're making a little over between 20 and 30k kind of yeah. thing, right? And so in that you can survive, right? Maybe you have an adjunct teaching position, you're stringing things together. But you don't feel like there's no one patting you on the back and being like, "Oh, good job! <laughs> You're really getting out." You know, there's there's very few accelerants. But right? you get to do um, what you want, also. So no, no, no. I, I know, like of this course, expression. But you go it, you, uh, poverty means nothing to someone with a dream. Hmm. Well, stay centered on that dream for sure, because like you, you know, you 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 might be led astray by people that have like abandoned it and taken full time job jobs where they're getting you know they're getting paid very well and you know they're able to buy a home and all kinds of things and and therefore like you you start to second guess yourself. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's good yeah, or bad. I'm just saying also, there's a mid yeah. there's a midlife or mid career crisis. There's that also happens. realizations that uh, maybe you were in art for the wrong reasons, like not because you are interested in the work itself, but more for the accolades and the confirmation, and then when the confirmation doesn't come, you're not really enjoying making the work either. I think that's actually a really, really good point, which is like, um, yeah, you. Th- it's even the best artists. I remember I, ha- I ha- had the opportunity to spend um, a weekend with Carolee Schneeman when I was a student. And I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but like Carolee Schneeman now, uh, you know, famous 1960s feminist performance artist, now quite recognized and shown in museums and stuff. There was like 40 or 50 years where like no one was giving her shows. When I, when I met her like 10 years ago and we spent time together, she was super depressed because she could, she could barely, you know, put together a living. Um, and so sometimes recognition goes in waves. Like she wasn't in style, right? So it was like 2005. She wasn't in style. Um, and so you could even be like the most famous artist in the I world. I think there's or one a documentary film on her out now in theaters. 
Really? Yeah. Well, there you go. Right. Like uh, at the time, you know, she was giving an artist talk at Syracuse University. Um, so I'm just saying that because like it, being in art, it's not like it's just like a it's not really like a company because, you know, it does, it's not just going straight up the whole time. It's really, really difficult. And I think this is true for musicians, too, as you, you know, um, you've yeah, quoted before. Yeah, and, and, and fame and fortune don't go hand in hand. Like Sometimes you make money, exactly. but there's not a lot of critical interest and the other way around. And, and especially when your head's down trying to like, if you're trying to make a new body of work, especially as a mid-career artist, and you're known for what you did in your early... You, mean, you, you mentioned Richter, but there are like other examples of, of this. I think Bruce like, Nauman, um, like every five years, he completely changes what he does, and then it takes five yeah. years for the collectors to accept the new body of work. Well, and one of my favorites was Vito Conchi did all this great video work, and then he started doing architectural work. No one liked it, but he would get cranky and angry <laughs> uh, when people talked about his like brilliant video work, right? But he's lucky to even have created that video work, in my opinion, that yeah. he had that genesis of that work. And the fact is, what did you, you know, think when people of ask me, architecture? Um, I was like, not that interesting. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the other thing. But, is it, it, there's the, the ego development where an artist, and it, this is also with the, especially with entertainers, they're like good musicians, but then they're like, oh, then I can also be a chef. And then I can also, mm-hmm. the, confidence can also be but, a, a burden. But I think I've said that. I've read, you know, I was Steve Martin has this great book called Born Standing Up. And in it, he talks about his crisis that occurred um, right around the time he was most famous. So he was like, he still holds the record for the most attendees at a stand up comedy event because he was filling stadiums, like baseball stadiums full of people. It's like 50, 60,000 people. And he got very depressed during this time because people just wanted to hear his old material. And he's like, no, no, but I've got this new stuff. Like, why do you want to hear it? And, you know, That's he, what bands he, it go took him through. a long time. Like, sign a deal with the devil. And it's like, you have to play this yeah. one song for the rest of your life. But he took, he took, it took him a while. And then he realized it was that it wasn't a performance, you know, like it wasn't a comedic performance he was giving. It was like, it was kind of a nostalgic event. It was a recreation of a, of a feeling for people. They wanted to feel the same way they felt when they first heard him perform. Yeah, it's exactly right? what happens to musicians because people grow up with a song and uh, they want to feel young again and they like hearing that song again. Yeah, I know Madonna's like, I, I just saw her on a talk show and she's like, she's perf- she's still performing, right? And she's in her 60s and she's st- singing like a virgin, right? But she's in her late her 60s best song or 70s. Also, yeah. like, it's a fantastic song, of course. Um, but, you know, she has to do all this crazy stuff to perform. She has to, like, um, have a physiotherapist, like, with her the whole time. Well, why does she and, still perform? I don't know. Well, because it, why not? It, I mean, it just so weird, happens that she had a very athletic performance Yeah, style, but that's the weird you know? thing where you could also just be like, you could be, hey, I'm not 15 anymore. I'm going to play these new songs. They're not going to be as successful, but I'm going to accept that there's only going to be a thousand people in the crowd and Right. I mean, you could do what a lot of video artists sort of talked about um, when if you think of the media video art early on, it was very um, unstable. And so built into the conceptual framework of being a video artist or performance video artist was this this idea that what you were performing was ephemeral, that it, you know, and, and I've mentioned this among Fluxus artists as well in the past. But the idea is that it shouldn't exist forever. But that's because right? the and tapes okay. were so shitty. Yeah, that's right. They would just uh, slowly degrade. Yeah. Um, they were just It was just unstable media. But the, I love that, I mean, the only thing close to that kind of unstable media now is Snapchat. And you do see like people with a large amount of anxiety or jealousy, potentially, or fear of missing out 
leaning into these into stories like you know snapchat invented the story format now instagram has it facebook has it but the ephemeral documentation of one's life not forever but just for a moment yeah it's Um, also because most people uh, are not professional public personas and they just want to share funny moments with friends but they could be embarrassing so it's good that they disappear but yeah i think think it's very interesting that's a very different use than an artist who is in dialogue with art history and art history goes back thousands of years so you want that mm-hmm. you want your work to be part of that dialogue and then at least for me i would like the work to be around so someone a thousand years from now could see like oh what happened there yeah i mean i'm just saying that, yeah that's one approach the the opposite approach is embrace you know the buddhist yeah, <laughs> kind yeah, yeah. of feeling that you're meaningless yeah, right yeah. embrace your meaninglessness um, now that's a very slippery slope toward uh, you know complete depression. <laughs> but the, the, <laughs> I just yeah, say the, it's intrinsic rewards versus extrinsic ones, it, which we talk about all the time on the podcast. Yeah. But so if if we look at the foundations of jealousy, the, um, the mm-hmm. and you get back to Buddhism or even I think any religion uh, that there's because it's a sin in almost every yeah, religion, right? But there's the, the there's the, it's almost like a mathematical ex- equation of uh, your expectations your hopes, mm-hmm. and then what the real world is. And, and the difference between those is like how upset you are or how frustrated or how jealous. Mm-hmm. It's just very weird. I think it's like it's one of the parts of the human condition that's not really talked about because it's built on top of imposter syndrome, I think, as well, which in- increasingly, like, as I've gotten older, I, just, I, I see it so often because I work with a lot of young people, like, helping them either as designers or artists getting ahead. And they feel so, they have, like, such low um, self-worth or self-esteem in relationship to others that are exactly, not exactly the same, little, but going through by, similar things. For, I'm not understanding. Yeah, for, w- can you give an example? What it, what, of imposter syndrome? Well, specifically well, I'll give you an example, in, in your like, context. Like what, because it, I thought imposter syndrome was someone who's very successful, but then is like, well, actually, I'm just fool, fooling you. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They don't recognize the success. Most people don't recognize how successful they are. So, you know, in my, in, let's just take the case of a designer that might work at FreshBooks. I've worked with many that have started over the years. And it's, if you're in Toronto, it's one of the better teams you could be on um, as a design team. And we hold a very high standard, but because we hold such a high standard, people, you know, on the team might feel like, oh, I don't belong here. I'm like not excelling as, as far as I could. I could, I'm not, you know, I'm not as good at research or I haven't read this brand new book. I haven't seen that talk. And so I often experience um, among members, new members that join the team. This has happened to me like every single year that we've, we've hired uh, people to work with us, like an extreme amount of anxiety that they don't belong, even though you know that we even among the most even among leaders right actually not just young yeah people. there's, a, there's an interview like, with john lennon when the the beatles split up and then <clears throat> he thought paul mccartney was a much better songwriter and he was very insecure about his songwriting he's like yeah i'm not that good i'm only i've only changed the the course of history <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah i just think also um yeah, yeah. Anyway, I felt that way for sure. So I always talk about it because I was like, uh, yeah, I feel that way all the also, time. Also, in general, you know? it's even, much easier to compliment someone else's achievements than to boast, except for the U.S. president. But most people um, would rather be excited and, and, and uh, like it's easier to sell someone else than sell yourself. 
Yeah, but what I think is interesting is like the whole world writes, you know, news stories about how millennials are self-entitled, but from my experience, it's exactly the opposite, you know, and uh, I, I, I don't think the millennials think as much as people th- have the egos that people think. I think that they're, it's actually just, um, well, just like every their generation. starting point, the, 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 the cards that they were dealt are much, you know, they got student debt and climate change and bad yeah. job prospects and no security. So then if they ask for things, they're entitled yeah, no, I'm anyway. just looking so, at the window and it's snowing and there's always that word uh, snowflakes. But it's, uh, what do you mean? Each one is unique. Yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's just I'm just thinking of snowflakes as they're falling down. Yeah. So it's snowing in New York right now. Yeah, it's weird. It, I think it's oh, not going to stick because it's, it's above freezing. But uh, mm-hmm. no. um, so we don't have an ad at this. Uh, we're at the halfway mark. We, yeah. we don't have an ad this week, do we? Well, we we got two submissions for ads, which both didn't meet our criteria. We still have to get back to them. But one didn't deliver an easy deliverable, and the other one mm. was too long so if you have an ad it has to be 100 words max and it should be easy for the user to click on something and one, one well, yeah, needs, yeah like what they call a clear call to action yeah. which is like go here do well someone this. made a, a, a chrome extension but it was on github so you would have to download the zip file and install it in the browser in developer mode and like no it has to be easy to use it's a great idea, though, for a Chrome extension. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one that just gives you a tour of Raphael's work, <laughs> I found. Like, yeah. Hopefully someone is listening and also wants to do one of Jeremy's work. <laughs> but your works are ephemeral. Oh, boy, yeah. I made the wrong choice. Yeah. But um, in the meantime, we can advertise our mug. Go to Oh, yeah, we have mugs uh, on go sale. Go to goodpointpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. And goodpointpodcast.com, you can get a t-shirt and a mug. We still have crop tops <laughs> and t-shirts. I fr- we never announced the um, you know which of those was more popular, but they ended up, the crop tops were very popular at the beginning, uh, I think because you know uh, I made a sensation about it. Because <laughs> it was, it very, was an like, outrageous idea. Outrageous idea, but your shirts have definitely uh, overtaken them. And now I see people get two of your shirts, like his and her shirts for couples oh. and things like that. Um, but uh, the mugs have been very popular. Uh, we've sold about a dozen mugs. It's very helpful. Anyway, it's paying our hosting uh, costs you. for the website and for the podcast, uh, which I didn't know we used to pay for. I didn't, used to not know we paid for. I paid for it. Yeah. But uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so thank you. Okay. Um, yeah. So let's get back to our topic. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think jealousy is just a basic part of the human condition. It. I. I always feel like it comes up. Um, because it seems petty and you should be above it, but it's also survival instinct. If you, if you see other people getting ahead and you're not... It, let's say that you enjoy making things and you want to make a living out of making things. That's a really mm-hmm. tough proposition. So if, if you set aside um, other options and you say, I have to succeed in being full-time exploring my own interests, then if you're not getting critical attention or commercial attention Basically, let's say you want your art practice to either thrive or die. It's, it's life or death mm-hmm. for your art. It's not for you as a human being, but for your art practice or your interest or your music or whatever it is, it's life or death. And so then to be envious of other artists because they're getting more and you might, your practice might die, of course you should feel panic and negative emotions if things are not going. It's, it's really hard to just be a, 
Eh, whatever happens, happens. It's, no, it's life. It's well, life hint, or death. You're, you're, yeah, yeah. You're, I see what you're saying too. I mean, I, I remember feeling this most acutely when I was in school, and there were several controversies where, because there were school assignments, I think the palette of what was possible on at certain times early on was very limited. But I remember one particular uh, peer of mine was inc- like was just going insane because another student had sort of like copied his work essentially or is doing the same thing and and you know it's unfathomable in school because there's only 20 of us here and there's like a whole universe of possibilities how could it be that in in his closet or in his bedroom he came up with the exact same thing as me and now he got an a and i got a b like and so it really brings that like reality into into stark uh, harsh kind of terms and I remember getting almost like physical, like aggression, uh, to, because you're, you know, there's only ten of you, or fifteen, or twenty of you in the class, um, and that does sometimes I think happen out in the regular art world where someone else, you might have the same idea out even for a while, and then someone else comes along with a bigger name and does it like on a bigger stage. I think we've talked about Richard Prince kind of. Um, ripping off the work of people that, who did stuff on Instagram. Well, that's I, th- um, I think that's a little bit different. But now there's a, a clear example with the. Uh, Constant Dullard started these deep dream AI images and making paintings out of them. Mm-hmm. And then Trevor Paglin oh, yeah, was example. connected to the same uh, coder and there was the same research and he came up with them as photos in a bigger gallery. So that's like a clear example of terror. There was also, when Warhol started painting, he would do blow-ups of comic books before the soup mm-hmm. cans. And then he... Yeah. He either knew about or visited Liechtenstein's studio, and Liechtenstein had been blowing up comic books, but he had added the bende dots, the screen dots of offset printing. Right. So he introduced mechanical reproduction into painting. And by adding, aestheticizing or focusing on the, the faults of mechanical reproduction and enlarging them and emphasizing them, mm-hmm. he had taken a leap. And so Warhol was yeah. like, okay, well... He claimed the the comic book area, so I have to go with consumer goods. It, like he right, he, right, he nailed right. that. So Warhol, in a way, he he didn't he didn't go to everybody shouting around like, "Hey, you guys, I did it first. I did comic book paintings." He's like, no, <laughs> he did it better, so I have to go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that happened. I think you're making also another really good point, which is that sometimes these uh, sometimes these like these innovations are even are sometimes even technical um and it'll be like i mean i've talked previously uh, about my misattribution of namjoon pike as like the first person yeah. to record video and uh, yeah there's that, that, do that video anxiety art. of who's the first uh. yeah well i remember when the connect came out I, I made i did this performance where i wanted to be the first artist to use the connect in a museum and i made a very terrible performance very quickly but i just wanted to be the first <laughs> To, to use the connection to museum because my feeling was like, well, Namjoon Pike did a really terrible job of, of recording a video uh, and showing it. And he was attributed as the first ever video artist. Why can't I be the first connect artist? Yeah. Uh, uh, never got that I, attribution, but still. <laughs> I think there was a, a, when you look at the history of media art and technological art, there's a lot of artists that are first with things, but the, for some reason it just doesn't work in the exhibition space. It doesn't, it doesn't have the snowball effect. And so I think when Corey Archangel came along, he was really good at taking computer culture and making it work in the exhibition space, whether that was luck mm-hmm. or talent or combination. But he really, 
Well, I think one and, thing he's amazing at is condensing things to their simplest yeah, form, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, and so you know, like there are people that were doing cart hacking before. Yeah, exactly. He did so, the, but the there was piece, from right? the community of media artists who always feel underappreciated because media art has this stigma, mm-hmm. or like it, it, it sometimes it just often doesn't work. It's not glamorous, or it's too nerdy, or it's too messy. Yeah, and so he comes along and, and nails it. And then a lot of people are like, well, but I addressed these issues already. Why doesn't anyone recognize that? Mm-hmm. I think you hear that most often among, and I'm going to get emails complaining about me saying this, but like a lot of 90s-based internet artists would complain about um, how our generation of internet artists didn't acknowledge all the great work that they did. And that is an interesting point, but it's like we weren't around. Like a lot of us were children <laughs> at the time. <laughs> And it's not on us to like go and like because the amount of research you'd need to but do. But did to become they acknowledge all the video artists that came before them? Would they, in their press release, say shout out to Nam Jung Pike? No, I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I, I, I can't be certain, but I, I doubt that that's possible. Like, and I'm not, you is, know, I'm not it, saying, yeah, hey, Leonardo da Vinci, thanks yeah, for that. Thanks so. for uh, <laughs> drawing human beings in that way. Is, is it? Imp- yeah. <laughs> thanks for that perspective. I <laughs> yeah. love it. but yeah it's very hard i think once you get into this attribution game of who was first it's not really even that interesting but it does happen all the time it is and it isn't because sometimes uh, the art world can be in a sort of stale moment where people are iterating the same idea and just changing very small details Mm -hmm. and other people come along and take some leaps but the leaps are unnoticed because people are so focused on the, the the perfecting something they've been working yeah. on for a decade and then someone sort of is is making this head start in showing a new direction but then somebody else runs with it uh packages it better and that can be very yep. painful and the, and on a larger world or larger or our larger world stage kind of thing i mean i know right now every year this time i get a little bit jealous because uh i'll admit it on air i've never been to miami during the miami art fairs and it's like I'm in Toronto. It's cold. It's gray, and I'm getting pictures on Instagram. Of I hope people, I like, never have to be in Miami at that time. It I know frolicking terrible. on the beach. <laughs> I, I love Miami for exactly. vacation, but to go there and be—it's terrible. Those things. I was at the Venice Biennial once because there was an internet pavilion curated by Miltus Monedas. It was fun. It was a lot mm-hmm. of friends, but the anxiety yeah, all the there. time. Yeah, yeah, you were there. The anxiety all the time of like, oh, we're here, but we heard there's something cooler over there, and the city is impossible to navigate, and who's on the list of this thing, and who's on the list of that thing, yeah. and yeah, yeah. And I think what we like at those things. I mean, art fair art, the type of art that's at an art fair. Though the one thing, photo that keeps getting uh, trotted around this week is Chuck Close seems to be making the rounds. I don't know if you've seen this. No. <laughs> like I, I only saw like ten people I have shared. Saw I've shared pictures of, of me like Chuck Close is at our booth. I only saw images I, of uh, music events. It's, it seems that's what it's about oh, really? more. Yeah. Anyway, I only I only bring it up because I remember early on it really bothered me. Though I've shown at the fairs before, but not in a long time. Um, I I just felt like why can't I be in Miami? Because you, like, you it was don't just make like, art that, was, that hangs on a wall. No, I know. Obviously, I know this, <laughs> but like every time, every December comes along, and I think about there. a younger self. So. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I would be because I, I the same vibe you talk about at Venice. I really dislike. No, I think your your work really would be very funny feeling. because everything in Miami is about being super cool and being at the right party and being. So I think you would be a nice contrast. I could make fun of people. Yeah. Mm. 
Because everybody's like, oh, we got to be at the ASAP Rocky party. Oh, we got to be at the Terry Richardson party. It's like, no, we got to be at the Jeremy Bailey party. Yeah. Yeah, there's like 200 people <laughs> yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, I think there's various examples of art history of people following a, a moment, uh, um, exploring a formal way of making art I mean formal in the sense of like oh this is good art and then everybody following that for one mm -hmm. or two decades and it gets really it gets stale and then the new thing that happens is mm -hmm. it takes a while but you mentioned um, like so what is the the thing right now I think you mentioned AI is like one technology or new material and it's usually a new material I think it's better to think yeah. of it that way that people are jumping on and they're like investigating and trying to figure out okay what's going to be the first most important work same thing happened with vr um you know what's going to be the first most important work i don't think we found yeah, it same, in that jordan same, wilson piece from the biennial yeah, but. I, yeah i don't know it but again if if you approach things this way you're thinking in a very hierarchical uh winner takes all comp competitive way and so you could also be more I just want to make art the way I want to do it. I'm not too concerned about uh, cl claiming mm -hmm. territory, but I just, as you said, you were having fun because you were comparing yourself to your previous self. You're like, what did I do last week, and how can I add to that? Yeah. Um, but that's why you're ma you're making the you know the really kind of the the good point of the whole episode is it leads to this kind of idea that. I mean, if you're the first to get to a material, you're basically like um, Samsung coming out with like a new OLED TV and like an, and, a, and a digital camera, and it's like digital cameras aren't even relevant anymore. No but it's it's a survival strategy because it does work for some people. Mm -hmm. So it, again, it, I think it's a very short short, short runway though. Mm -hmm. It doesn't last very long. Yeah, but there's there's this thing like maybe uh, Anish Kapoor would patent this ultra black material that's blacker. It reflects less light than mm -hmm. any other material. No, we're never going to see And he it. he he uh, has a monopoly on it, so no other artist can make art that black. Um, it works for some people. You, I mean, he's definitely successful. I guess the point I'm the point I'm trying to make is like that. That's not a. So I often say like, um, if you compare it to in software, right? Like, and I like to take it back to design for a second. But like, there's a point in design where, in a technical innovations begin to. Um, force aesthetic changes more often than ideological changes. So it'll be like, like, you know, like, uh, we might've had modernism, you know, at a, you know, affecting design and then like typography as in like a typo typographic systems in the 1960s or Swiss typography. But then suddenly it's like uh, version 5.0 of Photoshop or like illustrator 10, you know, or there's this like lens flare that you can do, or now you can like liquefy text and so there's a certain point, I think, you know, that I often point to in the 90s where aesthetic progress gets tied to consumer product releases yeah. um, instead of <laughs> ideological shifts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're like, wait a second, this is like, this feels really cheesy. It feels like but the, we're, all getting, you know, we're mean, all getting ready for Black that's Friday. That's kind of like low-level investigation of material, low-level in the sense that you don't have root access. Like you're, mm -hmm. you're a few, but... Um, I saw an interview with Richard Serra that he said that most artists that were interesting to him would invent new ways to use a material. So um, if you think of Warhol, the way he would do this sort of messy silk screening, he took the silk screening method, which everybody was trying to do as clean as possible, and he used it in a, mm. in a more expressive way. Or what's a good example of an artist twisting how you use a material um, 
Anishka Kapoor is an example, and but mm-hmm. Jeff Koons is an example. It's really hard to make gigantic shiny sculptures, so he he pushed that side I mean, of the material. But Jeff, yeah, but he like famously worked for ten years to achieve yeah, that. Yeah, so but that but that's very different from hey, the new iPhone is out. Okay, let's try something. That everybody has access to that. Yeah, I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is probably if you're investing in like a one hit wonder kind of thing, that you might get that one hit, but you're not. It's going to be harder to get the subsequent hits, and so like a better investment strategy would be ideological. That is like investing in how you're thinking differently and who you're trying to reach um, differently. Uh, to my point earlier about like being very niche, because I still meet people that are very very successful and very happy who are doing like a specific kind of drawing style that's hard, like that if you copied, you'd be like, why are you doing like that guy's drawing style, right? Um, And if you can do that, then... I think the more, if you, I don't want this to be a motivational podcast with like 10 ways to to become a successful artist. I'm sorry. I I like tend to be like Tony Robbins. Yeah, but the reason it doesn't work is because it just, everybody's different. So it just, it's not like if you want to, here's a way to become a moderate runner and you have this interval training and you do some mm-hmm. stretches and you do some leg work and you can become a and with with but art there's just so it, many different mm. ways so I, for some people the ego drive and the complete competitiveness and zero-sum game and i have to rule yeah. the, the land it works for them there's clear examples in art history of egomaniacs and it working really well for them there's no doubt mm-hmm. and there's other people who lock themselves up in a monastery and just mess around with material and just ignore the world yeah. and it works for them too so there's there's no yeah, clear no, I, example I get it. And, some, of, and sometimes a technical innovation like you've mentioned Warhol but I might mention like Frankenthaler like the way they use a material suddenly just blows open yeah. the doors but and if you look at Mondrian like, he didn't use material in any new way and it worked yeah, for him you, you so just, it, it but yeah yeah, and the but his point point of view on the existing material, or rather, like on the composition. Yeah. but he of, he of, he wasn't mixing paint in a different way than anybody else. And, uh, right, right, right. Well, anyway, um, <laughs> I don't have a good point there, except to say that uh, I like personally, I'm much more focused these days than I was when I was a younger artist. On or I've there there have been a few occasions recently where I've like chased a new technology, like tried to do an AI piece really quickly. I just did like a VR piece. And I found it fun, but like, I definitely, I'm not, it's like, as I've gotten older, like I'm not the highest tech <laughs> artist and it's really, it's almost, it's almost like it a zero sum game. It's it, hard it to keep It is funny. Up. It's, it's hard when we talk about jealousy, not to talk about Bitcoin or money. There's yeah, the, the yeah, Bitcoin yeah. FOMO calculator and you can type, if I'd bought a thousand dollars in Bitcoin in 2010 or something, You'd yeah. have hundred million now. It, it's it's crazy. So it it's the numerical expression of uh, missing out on a trend, <laughs> and, and because at this point nobody still really knows what how we can practically use Bitcoin. That it's not a good way to pay for stuff because it changes value all the time. It's very it's fluctuating yeah. wildly right now. This week the, it, it fluctuated like from ten uh, to seventeen thousand in a day or something. It's crazy. <laughs> right. But but the the point is it it's just. You know the, the feeling when you've missed a trend. It's like, oh, this monumental sculpture. That was a thing I could have. Uh, that was something yeah, I could have it's done. Crazy. It's kind of vague, but right. when it, when you put numbers on it, it's like, okay, I was not in on the joke. Right. I didn't invest. Yeah, yeah we could have been rich. I, you know, I think um, 
I well, even specifically on Bitcoin, like I tried to open like a Coinbase account uh, like two months ago to get my first Bitcoin. I don't know why I wanted to use Coinbase. It seemed like reputable, and I oh, wouldn't lose the all main my money. One, yeah. But like, there was a micro deposit as part of like hooking my bank account up to it that never showed up in my bank account. So like, I waited for like a month, and in that time, like the value <laughs> of Bitcoin got up like thousand dollars. I was like, no. <laughs> I could have had twice as much money. Um, but I mean, I think one, my mom once gave me really good advice on that. Fine. If we want to just put this in a financial bucket, which, which is a big part of jealousy, remember, how people measure each other. Well, I've started being very transparent. Like I have stock options in the company that uh, I work at FreshBooks and like I just started telling people what they're worth because they, they could be worthless, right? Like, this idea that they're worth something today um, is like an illusion. You know, whenever you're talking about money and investment, it's like, yeah, it could also crash tomorrow, right? Um, and it, most people here in Toronto, I don't know if it's like this in New York, probably not because it's impossible, but are like trying to get in on the real estate market. And it, and it, got, it got really, really, really expensive really fast. And so now it's all condos, right? And like, I remember when I bought the condo that I'm recording in, um, it was like, I already thought I was too late. It was like, ah, oh, it's way too late. Like, what an idiot I am. If only I'd done a year later, a year sooner. And in the time since then, th- there's been the biggest increases in price. It, I don't think there's a right time. It's just the time that's right for you, right? Yeah. And you're probably going to miss also, a bunch of trends. It's also funny. Um, the, the, uh, I think jealousy has a lot to do with how you were raised and your expectations. And, and jealousy has definitely increased because we can compare ourselves to the best version of everybody. So everybody posts their best version of themselves on social media. And yeah. then <clears throat> they, sh- they shoot a picture of themselves in their apartment that's the nicest corner. They don't show the, the other wall that's all ruined by some leak or whatever. And they show the nice moments on vacation. You're jealous of the vacation or the nice sure. meal they're having. Um, and then you, you get these unrealistic expectations same way if you start comparing yourself to photos of models in magazines which are not realistic they're heavily edited mm. for That's versions my of ritual. a body so um <laughs> if you start comparing yourself to media then you, you that's maybe what i'm saying media is this exaggerated caricature of of mm-hmm. actual things and and but that's what yeah, we yeah, compare ourselves to so but anything less would be like really boring. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. If because no, there were a lot of experiments at the turn of the century you know, when live video recording and the internet video first came around, where people would like stream their whole lives and and there's also right this concept of slow media that exists right now. And, and then there's the um, weird word of reality <clears throat> TV, which is not reality. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, like uh, I'm certainly like. I mean, maybe that would be a good thing for you and I to do, just like uh, have a stream going from um, our kitchens and people realize how life, boring it yeah. is. <laughs> Someone was saying to me yesterday, like, uh, it sounds like your life is like a TV show. And I was like, well, you asked me what was going on. I'm only telling you about the things that are happening. I'm not telling you about um, the time I went to the bathroom. <laughs> and also I noticed that the way I speak sometimes is like because I've spent a lot of my life writing copy or advertising. Like I'll use, I've noticed it's just it's kind of affected the way I speak. And then you so oversell like I, things. I did, I've done no, well, I've done it a few times in this stupid podcast where I start speaking like Tony Robbins, and it's like <laughs> I'm trying to inspire everyone around me all the time. Yeah. 
And then they're like, you're, you're so inspirational. I was like, no, I'm just using these stupid tricks. Like, I'm asking, well, and some of the stupid tricks are like, I'm asking you about yourself, <laughs> you know, like, uh, which is, you know, like an advertising yeah, thing. Yeah, Make yeah. sure that it's always about your Well, the, I Anyway, mean, but... Language already is such a cultural construct so that, that shapes your views. Yeah. So um, whether you're shaped by Tony Robbins or by uh, Nietzsche or... Like, someone over enthusiastic or someone overly critical uh. mm-hmm. so who is the artist that's like um we could do this for art design and entrepreneurship because those seem to be the themes that we come back to but like who's the artist right now that's that you're most that you're most jealous yeah, of? i was thinking about i'm i'm really writing a wave right now like i'm really uh, i'm in this uh, collection exhibition in the state look and the whitney bought one of my works and so it's yourself? You're well, <laughs> right now I'm just not yourself. jealous. There was this press release of the State yeah. Museum, and it, it's this webpage with the press images, and it's like Degas, Van Gogh, Damien Hirst, Jeff Koons, and then my work is at the end. It's like, oh, I'm in a good context here. <laughs> and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Barnett Newman and whatever. So it, it, this is the wrong week to ask. Maybe some weeks. Uh, okay. I would be, but when, whenever I feel jealous, I'm jealous of someone like Aphex Twin, where it... I'm not even mm, Richard D. James. I'm yeah. not even jealous of his success, but I'm jealous of the creative depth where he. You, there's this thing where. He, Did you read that Rolling Stones Rolling Stone article about how he built like a, like he had this secret? This two out last albums were created yeah, in yeah, secret, yeah. and he wasn't going to release them. It was just for himself. Yeah, but if I'm jealous of anything, I'm, I'm jealous of people with yeah. this uh, infinite supply of ideas. Same with David Lynch. He, he I really loved the last season of Twin Peaks. And to be, mm-hmm. uh, to make something really interesting at that age, I think it's, uh, there's not a lot of examples of, of film directors doing interesting work after age 70. That's sick. But to me, it, yeah. That's how I feel about John Waters. I'm always like, ooh, John yeah. Waters. How did well, you Well, also Werner Herzog, he like, seems like a superhero. But yeah. I can't even be jealous because it's but so I'm... far from my abilities. It's more mm-hmm. like looking at awe at, at a superhero. It's like, wow, Superman can fly that fast across buildings. It's like, yeah, good for him. It, 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 like one one day right. in the life of Werner Herzog would be like the biggest story of my whole life. Yeah, I often have a similar feeling. Like if I was just like, I don't actually don't admire Elon Musk. But a lot of people like will bring him up as like an entrepreneur that they're um in love with or jealous of but his life sounds like one of the most horrific car accidents you know in terms of just the sheer amount of stress and and being on um, i don't like his products that much like well, paypal it, is, i think it's, it's fine but who cares this is the it's same way i feel ugly. about uh, yeah and then tesla's i mean it's fine but they're also kind of ugly <laughs> and spacex i don't know why we have to go to mars i don't know i'm not jealous of him mm-hmm. and yeah, we're He's yeah, a good hype right man, now we're missing but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Right now we're missing kind of like um a figure. There's probably there probably are figures that we don't know it's, about. It's the two of in... us, Jeremy. <laughs> no, but I think like, you know, I think of like Dieter Rams at Braun or something, but like it's definitely not Johnny Ive. Like he's making some pretty tacky stuff. No, I like I like um, what the Apple's doing. If yeah. Think, do you think like in in 20 years it'll be like Johnny Ive will be celebrated like Dieter Rams? I don't know. It's almost like at this stage, design is is um, uh, more about getting out You're of the way it, yeah. than uh, uh, because the, the, each, each machine that they make has so many functions. So it's 
it's a very different thing. It's it's more about building a, a coherent system than about making a beautiful calculator. You're making a really good point, actually, which is um, in design. Anyway, if we're going to talk about design, which we don't have much time to do, but design more and more is a collective act um, or inclusive. You know, yeah, it's, it's like the voice like, of a voice assistant and the way they talk to you, and it's. The, yeah, it's a complicated system, but then a lot of people have to work on yeah. it. So it's more like producing. Um, like, I don't know, like you said, a video game, like you very rarely know about who the auteurs are in video game making that aren't, that are making those huge studio games or like a big studio movie or yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's a like collaborative that. effort. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. if, as a human, um, it's hard for me to relate to those things. I think as a human, I still attach myself to other humans when I see work. Why do you, why do you keep saying as a human? What is the other perspective? I mean, what I mean is, uh, if if you would objectively look at the achievements of humanity and be like, okay, well, mm. these large video games are tremendous achievements, but for me as a single entity, I relate to people, oh, uh, to, to efforts being made by other people as a single entity, like just solitary arts. So I really like reading a haiku and thinking, okay, there was someone 400 years ago who sat at over there and had that thought. Mm-hmm. So... So you like, the, I mean, that's, that's, that's a very, that's one way of looking at it. You can also look at it. There are collectives of people that have achieved. Oh yeah. I mean, a lot of frescoes were painted by big teams and uh, uh, big team efforts. And you're living in the United States. But, uh, but me, living me in the specifically, States, my uh, taste, I yeah. really enjoy the solitary voice. Mm. I was just thinking like, you know, a lot of people, Americans are often jealous of Canada until they visit. Um, so, like, <laughs> so cold but they'll be like oh they have free healthcare in canada oh my god they have this free and that free or you'll say that about france right france has like oh yeah i, you know, I agree like a lot of people think uh, social democracy like the way it is in scandinavia germany netherlands and, and france they think oh that's great but they don't know you're on a waiting list for 20 years to be in a gray apartment <laughs> i think americans are so used to getting what they want or up to a point or the illusion of that, that um, like being on a waiting list for a doctor because you need a hip replacement and you have to wait five years because other people need it sooner than you. And Well, this is the thing, like, and maybe this is like the good point, which is like, no matter, you know, to, to get to, to receive, you have to give and you have to put in the work. And of course, the world is unfair. There's my mom used to say, like, life's not fair. Um, and so even if you do all the same, all the right, all the right things, you work really hard, it still might not work out, but if you're doing it for yourself, um, and collectively, I think that's how countries work, right? They're like, these are our beliefs. These are our values. And we're going to follow through on them. Even when it's hard, we're going to continue. We're not just going to like get rid of free healthcare because we had a bad year with it. <laughs> um, Let's see what happens. <laughs> you know, <laughs> in, in a way, the Americans are really good at that too. They're like, well, you know. About a hundred thousand people got shot this year, but that gun, those guns, really got to keep that in the constitution <laughs> just in case. Uh, <laughs> but I have to admire that the, you know the system was built a certain way to, and it's moving, it's crawling yeah. forward. Um, as long as we're making slow progress in a direction, it's probably okay. I mean, we, we I should wish do things an episode happened faster. In America, cause it, 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 yeah, there should just be an episode called America. Yeah, right. That's true. It's such a weird it's country because if, if you I'm, look I'm spending, at the news, it's like. That seems like the worst country in the world. But then you're here and you're like, oh, this is really fun. And the people are nice. And, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. But if you, if you would look yeah, at the stats my... of a country the way you would compare a phone plan and be like, okay, this is how much money you put in and this is what you get out of the system. 
And yeah. I pay about as much taxes I know that's here your favorite, uh, as comparison. in the Netherlands, and you get nothing back. Nothing, absolutely nothing. <laughs> but still, I prefer <laughs> being here, so it's, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, you're uh, you're alone together, or you're like, or you're at least you're all in it together as um, as one as one group. I mean, yeah. Anyway, so that but but maybe that's not a very I, good I did speak to, to the end of our show. Uh, uh, one thing about jealousy: there's a lot of people living in New York who are like, this doesn't make sense. I I could live in a castle in another place for the same money, but there's this FOMO mm-hmm. thing where you leave and you're like, but that's where all the magic happens, and it, or it seems that way from Instagram. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I've said before, I, that's why I taught at NYU for a semester, because I really wanted to experience like what it was like to live in New York, even temporarily, and to see like who shows up at the openings. And Nobody. A lot of times people weren't showing up. And, it's like, <laughs> and I was like dragging people out. I was like, I thought I would but just be having the yeah, time yeah, yeah. of my life every day. Yeah. Well, let's do an episode yeah. about America or New York or whatever, because it, 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 yeah, okay. there's a lot to say. Okay, well, that's probably what we've got on jealousy. So don't be jealous of Raf and I. We have uh, we have just as many problems as no, you do. No, that's not true. Like, we've all- if, if I speak to people and they have roommate problems, I'm like, oh, you have roommates. That really they're, they're objective things that suck. So yeah. oh yeah, here's one thing I have that you don't have. Maybe is that do you have a dishwasher? Oh, but you don't, I don't use, use yours, mine, right? No. I'm against everyone it. should that's washing dishes. I think should be jealous of anyone no, with a dishwasher. Or I would I, never. I, enjoy I would washing never dishes. not have a dishwasher. It's really because I, I enjoy washing dishes because it's such a clear task that can be executed successfully, and everything else mm. I do is so ambiguous. It's like, is this good? Is this bad? I don't know. But then you do the dishes, <laughs> and it's like, this plate was dirty. Now it's clean. Now right. I'm going to dry it. Now it's in the cupboard. It's done, and now I can enjoy it again. If you can yeah. imagine. The one thing between Kristen and I that she gets most pissed off about is I load the dishwasher incorrectly, which is just and hilarious because well like I can't even the way you load it. Like no, I don't know. She has like some perfection about how it has to be laid out. In no, there. this is what I, I want like, the podcast. It's just be. a bunch of water spraying this is around. Exactly, I want to <laughs> yeah. talk about dishes. Yeah, yeah. We're, this is like our lowest ending. <laughs> Let's talk about talk about. We do have the a, a field recording. Anyway. Oh yeah, we do. Great. Yeah, actually, from uh, from an artist I met uh, last year at a, I did a show um, at this at, at Carnegie Mellon, or was actually at an Ace Hotel. You mentioned earlier uh, a VR show uh, for this festival called Weird Realities, and this this uh, woman Charlotte was there. She had a, a work across from mine, and so she sent in this field recording. I've really been enjoying Good Point. As a student, it's been really helpful. I figured that field recordings can be just about anything, right? So I thought I'd give it a shot and submit this. While I was debugging a script in Unity, my startup boss suggested, once again, that we should make a band. Hmm, why is he pressuring her so much? (laughs) So this is our first and last jam. My boss is on drums, my coworker David is on the loop machine, and I'm vocalizing that very script I was debugging. Many thanks to you and Raphael. Cheers, Char. And actually, I'm quite jealous of this job where every day I, you come into the job every day and your boss is like, we have to start a band. And then you just jam the whole day. This sounds wonderful. Drop the CSS. We need to express ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, stop everything. Start up emergency. We got we to gotta form a band. sounds a bit like a, uh, anyway. a British TV show, The Office, where it's like, no, stop working. Let's stop dancing. And it's really awesome. It's true. It's true. People have often been jealous of, uh, like, you know, working in different startups. But in startup culture, I want to say, like, people are jealous of other startups that have better, like, perks and things mm-hmm. like that. 
Um, and it's very interesting. Like here in Toronto, uh, we'll get to your recording in a second, Charlotte, but I work at FreshBooks and the, but the hot startup is like, um, Shopify and they, the things people talk about why they would rather work at Shopify or why it's better are like, they have kale smoothies (laughs) or they have, or they have catered lunches. It'll always be these like specific things. Yeah. I mean, this is a big topic, but there was a, I don't know if it was the same in Canada, but in the Netherlands was a lot of people with burnouts and Mm. burnouts are usually because of frustration, not because people are not making enough money, but it's because they're not appreciated enough. So it's, it's funny to me because you ideally work is you do it to not ideally, but fundamentally you work to make money so you can uh, pay for your life. But that Mm -hmm. is never the bottleneck. Nobody's complaining. I'm not, but maybe this also is specifically the Netherlands where there's a social safety net, but just so people mm-hmm. are much more frustrated about um, feeling appreciated than about being financially compensated. Yeah, and we said that at the end. It's like kind of our new. And that's the thing same with the artists. Podcast, I think there's artists who are financially successful but still feel underappreciated. Well, anyway, we appreciate Charlotte. And we appreciate yeah, all of yeah, you. Yeah. Um, thank you for sending in your field recordings, and we look here forward to hearing more from you and um, and uh, and also getting your ads and, and helping you out. Um, so don't uh, be jealous. So much. Um, don't be jealous. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm jealous of our listeners for sure because <laughs> <laughs> they got to listen to us for an hour. Enjoy winter time. Okay. See you all soon. Bye-bye. Take care. Hi. Smash that light. My numerator. <laughs> I am numerator. Quote <laughs> equals zero F colon. Wow, F is less than C. Fade camera, plain material, set color. In quotations, underscore color. Color dot lurp. Color clear, color black. Return null. Fade camera plane material set color 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 black. I enumerate.